listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showjob. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shudry, and I'm sitting in my North Texas office shivering with six inches of snow and ice out the window. It's that time of year for sniffles. How appropriate, because today we're talking about kitty colds. Now that brings me to my rant of the week. About four million cats pass through United States shelters every year. Sadly, only the friendliest and healthiest seem to find homes. And if a sick cat enters the system, chances are he's not coming out. In fact, healthy cats can become sick due to the stress as well as a chance of catching a bug from the other sick felines. A top killer of cats and shelters might surprise you. It's kitty colds. Upper respiratory infections, URI, is among the top reasons for euthanasia of cats in shelters. Now, the cost to shelters to treat sick cats is enormous. And when the system is already strapped for cash, something has to give. Cats are the ones that pay the highest price of all. What can we do to stop this this horrible situation? Well, Morris Animal Foundation studies are making an effort to create change. Dr. Kate Hurley, the director of the Corrid Shelter Medicine Program at the University of California, Davis, conducted a Morris-funded studies of shelter cats that focused on the URI dilemma. Dr. Hurley's been working in shelters since 1989. She's worked in almost every capacity of sheltering. That includes adoption counselor, kennel attendant, even California State Humane Officer. Now, after graduation from the UC Davis program in 1999, she worked as a shelter veterinarian in California and also in Wisconsin. She's returned to Davis and after further training as the world's first resident in shelter medicine, she's now the director of the Corrette Shelter Medicine Program. She's worked extensively with shelters of every size and management type, and she's our guest today on Pet Peeves. So she's going to have some interesting results to share about her studies as well as some suggestions for shelters that just might help turn the tide. So gather up all your cat kids, and we'll be right back with Dr. Hurley after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. from experience feels like home for her 
Enter the code P10PEEVES, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. There's a movement afoot. Shoebuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop Shoebuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. Shoebuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code PEEVES, P-E-E-V-E-S, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at Shoebuy.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please welcome Dr. Kate Hurley, the director of the Cora Shelter Medicine Program at UC Davis. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hurley. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Am I pronouncing that right? Correct? Is that correct? Correct, yes. Well, I always like to ask guests before we start what critters share your home and your life? Well, um, right now I have one permanent resident dog, Muggs the Terrier, <laughs> and I have a cat named Mittens, who I uh, originally took as a foster cat because he had a kitty cold, uh-huh. and right now I have a foster cat who I'm trying not to have become a permanent guest at <laughs> Hurley's House of Bad Pets, and his name is Tommy Two-Tone, and he had been treated for 80 days for an upper respiratory infection that he just couldn't kick. And the shelter was at the point where they felt like they were going to have to euthanize him. So I decided to take him home and see what I could do. Ah, well, well, tell me about the Corette Shelter Medicine Program. What's the purpose of this whole thing? Because I think a lot of listeners may never have even known there was such a thing as shelter medicine. And, um, and I think that's true. Shelter medicine is only about 10 years old. So our program was formed at the beginning of 2001. It's a pretty new field, and um, our purpose is to really systematically understand how to keep animals in shelters healthy and well, but also to do that in a context that recognizes that our, our ultimate goal is to have them get out alive, or even better yet, 
to have communities where not so many animals end up in shelters in the first place. Well, you've been working with Morris Animal Foundation on a study that includes shelter cats and upper respiratory infections like what Tommy Two-Tone's been having to go through. Give us a little background. How did this come about and what did you learn with the study? Well, I don't know if you really want to go this far back, but you mentioned that uh, in your intro that I've, I worked in an animal shelter for six years before I went to veterinary school. And I would say the roots of this study go all the way back then. And I remember in particular, I had a litter of foster kittens, and there was three orange ones, and they were all different sizes and one calico. And so not being very creative, I named the calico Callie. <laughs> and the three orange ones were small, medium, and large orange. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They were named after the orange drinks at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so I, I took them all home when they were just a, a few weeks old, and I raised them until they were old enough to be adopted, and I brought them into the shelter. And Callie was real pretty, so she got adopted on the first day, and medium orange got adopted pretty quickly. But then about a week later, I came into work, and I walked into the euthanasia room. And at that time, at that shelter, we didn't feel like we were able to treat upper respiratory infection because we were worried that we couldn't prevent it from spreading to all the other cats. Right. And small and large orange had gotten upper respiratory infection, and they were on the table ready to be euthanized. Oh. And, and I just walked out of the room because we had a rule that you, you just couldn't question a euthanasia decision. And I thought to myself, at that time, there has got to be a better way. And if you think about, you know, just multiply that heartache by all the millions of cats that have passed through shelters in the United States every single year in the 20 years since that, that day, that's a lot of cats. Well, why are shelter cats at such risk for upper respiratory? You mentioned the contagion. I know that they have better um, air exchange systems now, but in those days, and even in some of our older shelters now, it's not unusual for that one case of kitty cold to spread like wildfire. And I think that's what, you know, this Morris Animal Foundation study has shown us, which is incredibly good and hopeful news, is that there really is a better way, and it's within reach of animal shelters. We can fix this problem. And um, it doesn't necessarily come back to air quality. It doesn't necessarily even come back to perfect disinfection. What I didn't realize at the time, and I think we haven't fully really appreciated until now, is that kitty upper respiratory infection is not like a lot of the other infectious diseases that we deal with. And that's because a lot of it is linked to a virus called feline herpes virus. Okay. Not the same as the herpes virus that affects people, but it has similar behavior in that once a cat is infected, it's going to be infected, you know, in most cases for the rest of its life. Okay. And feline herpes virus is very clever, and it's actually activated by the process of pregnancy and birthing. And so it's very common for that infection to be transmitted really early in life. And what that means is that a lot of cats walk in the door of shelters already silently carrying this virus. And the other thing that's really tricky about herpes in cats is that it's activated specifically by stress. Wow. And... It doesn't cause cold sores or some of the other problems it causes in people. It causes respiratory infection. So it, 
it lodges permanently in their upper respiratory tract, and, and when they're stressed, it gets activated, and they start to sneeze, and, and that's where we see upper respiratory infection. Well, and of course, when you have a, a cat, whether it's a feral cat that's been trapped or a one-time pet cat that's lost his way and ends up in a shelter, that's enormous stress. Enormous stress, a huge change from what they've been used to, whether they've been used to being out and about or whether they've been used to lounging on a couch. Being in a little cage, smelling unfamiliar smells, hearing the sound of dogs barking, being taken care of by unfamiliar people, all of that is incredibly scary for cats. And what we didn't realize is, you know, we were working so hard to protect them from disease exposure, we were working with disinfection, we were working with air quality, but we didn't realize really the importance of managing stress. So, so how was this study conducted? I, I did a little research and it looked like you had nine different shelters involved. Who were these? Where were they from? So this was an epic part of the project. This is, seems unbelievable. Yeah. We really had no idea just how much upper respiratory infection there was in shelters. And if you ask shelters, they just said, oh, too much. Ah. All of the cats get it. Um, so the first thing that we had to do was figure out a way to um, determine how much was was really there, and then whether there were some differences, because we figured if there were some shelters that had a lot less respiratory infection um, than others, then we would look at what they're doing and kind of compare it to the others to see, well, maybe that's one of the things that's important to protect cats. So we had shelters, we actually started out with about 15 shelters, and and it was a lot of work for the shelters. They had to record every single case of upper respiratory infection for a whole year wow. into an online database that we built. And they had to go through every single day and count how many healthy cats and kittens and how many sick cats and kittens were in the shelter every single day. And we ended up getting data on over 350,000 cat days. Holy cow. And over 5,000 cases of upper respiratory infection just from the shelters that ended up making the whole year of the study. Um, so that was how we started out. And, and then we also asked the shelters a lot of questions about what they were doing. So we asked them how they were housing cats and how they were cleaning and how they were vaccinating and what the air quality was like and how much dog noise there was. So that once we figured out which shelters had the less um, respiratory infection, we could try and figure out, well, why is that? What are they doing different? Exactly. So we know when it comes down to that little individual cat, that little kitty that is sneezing and having problems, this could be life-saving for them. But how is this information important? How is that going to impact shelters at the shelter level besides just you know relieving their hearts they don't have to euthanize isn't this a cost-saving measure as well yes it is an enormous cost-saving measure and that was one of the things that really struck us in this study that we hadn't fully appreciated just how much respiratory infection was draining from the very limited resources that shelters already have and and one of the things with, by counting the number of sick cats in the shelter every day we could find out how many sick cat care days shelters were spending, and shelters were spending over 10,000 days of care on sick cats in some cases. Wow. And estimating between 10 and $20 a day 
to take care of a sick cat when you think about all the things that go into that and how much it would cost if you have that done at your veterinarian. They were spending over $100,000 potentially. Wow. And it was amounting to more than one-third of their total cat care budget. Boy, what they could do with that money if these I cats... Know. Oh, my goodness. Well, listen, on that note... I'm going to have to let you go for just a moment, and we will come back after these messages and talk more with Kate Hurley about what shelters can do to stem this awful cost. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Peeves, P-E-E-V-E-S, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. Celebrate your special occasion and give her this classic semi-eternity band created with one carat brilliant diamonds channel set in 14 carat white gold. Exclusively yours from ice.com. Free shipping over $150, free returns, and 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to ice.com and use promo code ACTFP and get 20% off your purchase. Or use promo code ADTFP and get 20% off at diamond.com. Ice.com or diamond.com. Get 20% off from Pet Life Radio. Would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Attitude every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and again speaking with Dr. Kate Hurley, the director of the Corette Shelter Medicine Program at UC Davis. She has 
assisted in developing guidelines for shelter animal vaccination in conjunction with the American Association of Feline Practitioners as well as the American Animal Humane Association. She's co-edited the textbook Infectious Disease Management in Animal Shelters and has served as a co-author for the Association of Shelter Veterinarians book Guidelines for Standards of Care in Animal Shelters. Welcome back, Dr. Hurley. Thanks. Before the break, we were talking about the enormous cost savings that might be recognized by implementing some of the changes that you discovered could make a real difference in shelters. Now, first of all, what is a typical shelter environment for cats and why is it bad? Well, I think the worst part of the shelter environment for cats, or the part that is probably most challenging, is really the way that they're housed when they're first brought into the shelter. And one of the things we found in this study is that the risk for this upper respiratory infection is really greatest in the first two weeks that cats are in a shelter's care. And so we really need to focus our efforts on what happens to them when they first walk in the door. And traditionally, and this is not just true in shelters, but in veterinary clinics as well, we just have housed cats in whatever space we can fit them in. (laughs) And cats are pretty small, and they don't go crazy when you put them in a small space like a dog, you know, might bark and claw at the door. And a cat is more quiet about its distress. And what a cat does is just curls up into a little ball in the corner and starts sneezing. So you have these banks of cages and kennels with little little kitty cubby holes stacked. And the cats are quiet and they're just suffering in silence. Yeah, and, and you know, if you ever walk in and really look at a cat in a, in a space like that, a lot of times they'll be sitting in their litter box. Right. So coating themselves in feces and urine. And you know, your cat at home... I'm guessing, doesn't sit in this litter box ever. Ever. Clean animals, they don't like to do that. Well, and I've seen shelters, when I've toured a lot of shelters all over the country, and shelter staff want to make it right for cats. I mean, they'll put little boxes in there for them to hide in, all kinds of neat little cat cubby holes to try to shelter them from all of this stress. Is that a good idea? Well, that was one of the things that we looked at in the study, and we expected it to be a good idea. But what we found is that putting in a a hiding box in a small cage actually looks like it was associated with a greater risk of upper respiratory infection. Wow. And I think it comes down to the fact that there's just no room. In a cage that's only about two feet by two feet, that's like housing a nine-year-old in a phone booth. <laughs> if you want to picture that. You know, the cat doesn't have room to lay down. The cat doesn't have room to take more than about three steps forward. And then if you put a hiding box in there, on the one hand, it gives the cat a space to hide, but it gives it even less room to move around. And so in these small cages, then the cat doesn't even really have time to a room to stand on all four feet square or lay down on its side. The litter box and the food and water dishes are potentially only inches apart. If the litter gets spilled, it gets in the food. The cat doesn't eat. It doesn't drink. It's not well-nourished. And then it really doesn't have a chance of withstanding disease, even if it doesn't have its own herpes virus infection. If it gets exposed to something else, its immune system will be so run down that it can't fight it off. Well, I know with cats, oftentimes they use scratching as a way to reduce stress, but in that kind of an environment, they can't even stretch out. There's nothing to scratch. There's no way they could do that. There's really, we've kind of paw-tied them, in effect. We really 
have, and that's another thing that we've looked at, is, is giving them little scratching pads that hang on the front of the cage. And it's not that we would discourage shelters from using that, but what we found is that when they're used in a very small cage, the cats just don't tend to use them. So, so isn't this going to be a big cost for shelters to change things? I mean, how are they going to, if we give them dog-sized kennels, isn't that an enormous space issue as well as cost problem? So here's the fantastic news. Oh, I want some fantastic news. In the long term, no. And part of it has to do with the magic of the space-time continuum. Okay. <laughs> Which is, if cats are in shelters for half the time, you can give them twice the space. Oh, I like that. House the same number of cats, right? That sounds wonderful. If you have to house 10 cats for 20 days each, if you could drop that to 10 days each, then you could house a whole other set of cats for the other 10 days. So twice as much space, same cost. And really, if you end up housing each cat for less time, it's less cost per cat. So if you could get a cat adopted out in just two weeks instead of in four weeks, it's the same adoption. You still save one life, but it only costs half as much. It means half as much time in a stressful environment for the cat. And when we see that some shelters were spending 30% of their cat care time on just upper respiratory infection, if you were able to cut that 30%, maybe to 5%, which is what we saw in some shelters, less than 5% of the cats getting upper respiratory infection, and in fact, less than 1% of their total care time being spent on this disease, that would be an enormous ongoing cost savings that would more than make up for both the initial cost of investing in larger cases, cages and the ongoing cost of maintaining a larger building to accommodate those larger cages. But one of the things that we've found is that shelters find they don't even need as many cages when the cages are larger because you cut that time out of the cat's stay to treat it for an upper respiratory infection. Can shelters adapt some of the existing cages, maybe take the little hiding place out and shield the front of the cage in some way? So actually, it's funny you mentioned that. We just posted some information about this on our Facebook page yesterday. I actually, I will confess, I looked there. Okay. So. <laughs> so, you, so you saw that. And um, yes, I think that for shelters right now that have small cages, and I think this is true for veterinary clinics or any time a cat has to be in a cage, you can put a, a bed that's like on a, a PVC pipe frame that raises up a platform for the cat. So it's kind of like giving the cat a shelf and then hang a towel partially over that bed so that the cat still has access to all the floor space of, space of the cage, has a little hiding place, and also can get on top of that little bed. And you can make those pretty cheaply, and we have instructions for how to do that on our website. So that's a great people, way that people can help support their local shelter. And then we've also um, got on our website instructions for how shelters can join together two cages and give a kitty two sides of sort of a traditional small cage. So then they have like a bedroom compartment, and then they have a bathroom compartment where the litter box can be kept. And that way they have a little bit of a choice about where they want to hang out. And then you have the space to actually put in a hiding box on one side and still not create too much of a cramped environment. So those are both very accessible, cost-effective ways to adapt existing housing. All right. It sounds like the results of your studies has far-reaching implications, not just for shelter medicine, but for the veterinary office, private practice, vets, cat owners 
as well, and I would think even breeders that are in cattery situations. Yes, absolutely, and I think that's sort of the beauty of, of having a disease that's such a close marker for feline well-being. When we see that cats get up a respiratory infection, we know that we've not only failed to protect them from disease, we've failed to keep them happy and comfortable, and we don't want to do that. And in this species, we have a really good way to gauge how successful we are. And I think one of the things that pet owners can take from this work is just to recognize how traumatic it can be for a cat to be put into a caged environment, whether that's going to the vet or going to a boarding clinic. And I think one of the things that pet owners can do is, you know, certainly if you're going to board your cat, make sure that the cage size or condo size is large enough for your cat to do all its normal behaviors that cats like to do. But also for pet owners to recognize that cats are very tied to their environment and just by making your cat's carrier a very safe and positive and pleasant space that can go with it when it goes to a veterinary clinic or a boarding clinic, that can be very important for maintaining cat welfare and stress when they have to go through some kind of transition like going to the vet. So I encourage people, and I do this with my own cat, keep your carrier out in the living room sometimes and like have little treats or toys that you put in there. If you notice your cat wandering in there, reward the cat with whatever that cat likes, whether that's a treat or petting or a little play session. And I've actually got my cat so that if I carry, if I, he sees the carrier, he starts clawing at the door to try and get in because it's associated with big fun and treats. Well, this Morris-funded study, are there other future studies in the works uh, as far as shelter medicine and the well-being of cats uh, and dogs? Absolutely. There's a lot of work that's come out of the Morris-funded, just this first Morris-funded study. We're We've got a paper that's submitted for publication on just weight loss um, oh, wow. in cats in the first few weeks of their shelter stay that's come out of that study. And we're also doing a follow-up study on just comparing larger cages with smaller cages at a single shelter and looking at the effects of that on stress, on respiratory disease, and on the chances for adoption in shelter cats. Great. Well, before we go, would you please share with listeners the website URLs for finding out more information? They can refer their shelters, their veterinarians, everyone they know. Absolutely. Our website is sheltermedicine.com. Okay. And also you can find us on facebook.com slash sheltermedicine. And we're trying to catch up with the ASPCA and our number of followers. <laughs> and the last step, we have 309 and I think they had about 685,372. <laughs> so tell your listeners to follow us on Facebook and ask 3,000 of their closest friends to join them. <laughs> we will do that. And right. we are out of time, but I'd like to thank Dr. Kate Hurley and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Pisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. Oh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to the free Pet Peeves newsletter available at Shujai.com. Purrs and trills until next time. Your cat relies on you to keep her happy and healthy. And a cat-considerate environment keeps deserving shelter cats happy and stress-free with a better chance to find their forever home. So spread the word. Let your local shelters know there are ways to reduce cost and increase the health of their shelter kitties. Every cat deserves that chance. Maybe your cat came from a shelter. And after all, 
You don't want her to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.